Michelle, hats off to you. I, I don't even begin to be qualified to do, to do a children's sermon. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? My, my respect is so, I, mean, I can't even say how, respect, how deep my respect is for anybody doing that. Wow. I, don't you want to clap for that? I mean, that, that was... Hey, so I'm really glad you're here tonight. Um, I, I know you're looking forward to a, a lot of different things, probably yet this evening. Maybe you've had already a, a gathering already take place earlier today. There's, there's things that happen tomorrow. But in the midst of all that, it is so good to be in this place and to, to be together and to be able to sing songs that aren't just songs of the season, but they're songs of the story that talk about exactly what it was that happened 2,000 years ago. And for some reason, people keep talking about, a story people keep telling, a person people keep engaging with. Somehow or another, we can't shake free from Jesus. And there was something about him that's still something about him right now that matters. I want to read just a couple of verses right now from the Bible, from a book called Hebrews. We're going to read the first couple of verses. So I'm going to ask the Hebrews chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I think you have that. No. All right. How do you like that? So listen to this. Hebrews chapter 1 goes like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Let's say that again. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. God had something new to say. When you hear um, that God spoke a long time ago to people through a lot of different people in various ways, but in these last days, God spoke to us by his son. I think about the now he has spoken to us by his son being a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. But I want to let you in on something, that if the writer to the Hebrews, that's a book in the New Testament, if he was here or she, we don't know who he, who he or she was, if he or she were here tonight, I'm convinced they would say exactly the same thing. That we now live in ultimate times, in last times. And that God is speaking to us in a distinct, special, um, unrivaled way through Jesus Christ. I want to think with you for this, this morning for just a few moments about that first Christmas. That was a long time ago. That, that night outside of Jerusalem in the little town of Bethlehem. Now Jerusalem was no insignificant city. Whether you're thinking in terms of its history or its architecture or its population. Bethlehem had its history too. I don't think it had very much architecture to speak of. Nothing memorable. It didn't have much of a population either. It was a pretty small town. Small town. I remember a, a song back when James Taylor singing about a one-horse town. I remember Tom Petty singing a song once about a one-story town. I've heard about one-stoplight towns. I've even heard about no-stoplight towns. I think Bethlehem was a town a little bit like that. 
Jerusalem was a significant place. There were a fair number of people who lived there. It wasn't Rome, it wasn't the capital of the empire, but it was for the Jewish people God's special city, God's holy city, Zion. This is where things happen. Nobody else may have realized it, but for Jewish people, Jerusalem was the center of the earth. That's where things were centered. This is where things came from. This is what mattered, what took place here. Bethlehem was close by. It was the town of David. But David was a long time ago, like a thousand years before. Bethlehem had seen better days. Nobody really thought of Bethlehem as a major place of significance. It wasn't that far from, Bethlehem, uh, from Jerusalem, maybe just six or seven miles up the road. It wasn't far, but nobody else in the world was really looking for much of anything from Bethlehem. Jerusalem, maybe. Bethlehem, no. But on this particular occasion, this little town of Bethlehem was experiencing something of a population swell. There were people crushing into the town. There were people coming. Why? Because there was a government edict of some kind. People were gathering because they were doing something with the census. They were uh, good news. They were trying to keep track of people so they could more efficiently get people's money. Taxation. That was what was going on. People are going back to the town where their families came from to make clear their connection, their lineage, and their availability for giving money. And so they made their way there. And there were quite a few people on the road making their way to Jerusalem. And if you were really paying attention, one couple might have stood out to you just a little bit. And yet, then again, if you didn't look very closely, they might not have stood out to you very much at all. It was a young couple. He looked to be a little bit older than she, but, you know, they just looked like they belonged together. He was walking, she was riding. You wouldn't really notice unless you got close and looked carefully, or maybe especially when she got off of the animal and stood, and then suddenly you were aware that that there was a swelling in her midsection. It wasn't illness, it was pregnancy. This woman was very pregnant. This young girl was ready to have a baby any, any moment at all. And they were making their way with many others and they were testing the infrastructure and the available beds in Bethlehem. And the truth was, they were a little concerned about what they were going to find. They were going to find that there wasn't any available room. If there had been Expedia or Priceline or TripAdvisor to check out the hotel motel availability on that time, and they'd been able to put in their time of expected arrival they probably already would have known. No room, no space. But they had to go. And so they went, and they arrived in the town, and there was no place for them. I guess there was no place, but there was a space. A space, a space that was outside more than inside. A space that was rough more than cultured and civilized. A place that was more for animals than for humans, but push comes to shove, you got to have a space if you don't have a place. And so Mary and Joseph ended up in this cold, hard, smelly place that was usually for animals only. But this night, it was a maternity ward. And just a very few hours passed after their arrival, and suddenly there was a sound. It was a familiar sound, probably a familiar sound for a lot of us here. 
It was a cry. And there was a sound that there was a new life. (laughs) A little baby boy was born. I don't know if the story comes from this church or not. I remember hearing one time about a pastor who used a particular book on Christmas Eve to read the Christmas story. It was kind of a very realistic portrayal of what went on that night. There were a lot of details that were not found in the Bible to describe what was going on. It was realistic. It was earthy. It was a little too detailed for some people. In fact, I heard the pastor kind of got really nailed afterwards for, for reading from that book. You know why? Because I'm not sure we always want to realize just how real the situation was. But this was a real birth to a real girl, a young girl, who'd been a virgin, who was a virgin. If you want to know something of what it was like, ask a mom to describe a delivery for you. And you'll get a feel for it. Or moms, draw on your own memories. Feel free. And then try to imagine that delivery not at a hospital, not in a planned space, even at home with a midwife present, but on your own with your husband who knows nothing at all, and you are in an animal stall. And it's a cold night, and you're nowhere near home. And think about what it was like that night. But in the midst of that description, this is the word that went out. We just heard it. We heard it in that video, and we heard it before from uh, in a number of different times. But this is what it said. When there was suddenly outside of town, some shepherds gathered, and there were some messengers from God, some angels, who spoke a message. It was a fearful moment, but the first words were, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. We're so used to hearing those words that we don't really get it at all. This is the good news. A Savior, Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, God, authority, power, the one who will change everything, He's coming. And if you want to meet him and see him, all you have to do is go into this quiet little town and you will find a spot with a bunch of animals around and you will find a baby lying in a manger. And that made no sense at all. Why would the center of history, why would the power that God was sending that was going to change everything take place in a stable with a bunch of animals around in an uncomfortable circumstance with two people who were strangers to town with nobody around to help them? But that's how God entered the world. In a most humble, a most simple, a kind of most horrible way. I want you to think for a moment uh, with me. Maybe some of you know this name and some of you don't. But um, one of the great songwriters and singers of our time is a guy by the name of Bruce Springsteen. A lot of you know his name. He's getting up there in years. However... He's just been going through a very interesting experience. I'll I'll mention it in a moment. I just want to read a couple of lyrics from one of his songs. The song's called The River. It goes like this. I come from down in the valley where mister when you're young, they bring you up to do like your daddy done. Me and Mary, we met in high school when she was just 17. 
We'd ride out of this valley down to where the fields were green. We'd go down to the river, and into the river we'd dive. Down to the river we'd ride. Then I got Mary pregnant, and man, that was all she wrote. And for my 19th birthday, I got a union card and a wedding coat. We went down to the courthouse, and the judge put it all to rest. No wedding day smiles, no walk down the aisles, no flowers, no wedding dress. That night, we went down to the river. And into the river we'd dive. Oh, down to the river we did ride. Yeah, yeah. I got a job working construction for the Johnstown Company, but, but lately there ain't been much work on account of the economy. Now, all them things seem so important. Well, mister, they just vanished right into the air. Now I just act like I don't remember. And Mary acts like she don't care. Bruce Springsteen got famous and successful by writing and singing songs about people who weren't the most blessed in life. They had life and they had love and sometimes they had a lot of excitement, a lot of energy in their lives, but they weren't from the top echelons of society. Bruce Springsteen has spoken as kind of a blue-collar man, a worker, a factory guy, if anything. But I read a review yesterday of a new special that's coming out on Netflix that's based on a series of concerts he's done recently that were a Broadway show. He was appearing week after week through this fall. Um, if you wanted to get into the show, I don't know, if you, were, if you were paying a scalper on the street, there were nights when you were paying $4,000 for your ticket. Let's just say that Bruce Springsteen has done okay. He's no Buffett or Gates or Zuckerberg when it comes to wealth, but he is wealthier than we are. The tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. He's done well. And one of the things he did in his Broadway show was kind of come clean on a couple things. He says this, I I come from a boardwalk town that's tinged with just a little bit of fraud, and so am I. He never raced cars. He was never a street punk. He never saw the inside of a factory. He never worked a nine-to-five job in his life. Standing before you, he says, is a man who's become wildly and absurdly successful, writing about something about which he has had absolutely no personal experience. I made it all up. And that's how good I am. The reviewer says this, Bruce Springsteen, some of you will get this, is a brilliant disguise. Some people might be bothered by that, But do you know what? Bruce Springsteen is an artist, and he's done a very effective job about describing not his own life, but the life of his dad and other people who were close by to him. But he himself, even if his words help you understand your life or somebody else's plight, that has not been his own experience. What I want you to think about for just a few moments tonight is the God we meet in Jesus, the God who gives himself to us at Christmas time. I know in a few moments or a few hours or tomorrow morning, for a lot of us, especially the younger we are, there's going to be focus on what we're opening and what we're getting. But long after what we open and what we get are things that are quickly forgotten. The story that draws us together tonight is the story that is at the center of who God is and what God wants to give to you. The God we meet in Jesus, the God we meet in the Jesus who was born in a manger outside of Bethlehem, outside of Jerusalem, 
is a God who's not only with you, but a God who gets you. He's a God who understands. The book of Hebrews tells us that God speaks to us in these last days in a special, unique, powerful, unrivaled way by speaking to us through Jesus. Through what Jesus said, through what Jesus did, through what happened to Jesus, and through what Jesus is all about in this very moment. God speaks to us. If you want to hear his voice, I can point you nowhere else but to the person and the life and the story and the reality of Jesus Christ. That's the only message I will ever have in my entire life. God can be heard through Jesus Christ. But the God we meet in Jesus is a God who doesn't only understand us because he's way up high with the ultimate infinite brain and he can follow everything and he knows everything about every one of us. He's not just that. I think he is that. I think he is a God who's fully and infinitely capable of watching over a universe and watching over a planet and being aware of every single one of us. But here's what's really amazing. That that infinite, eternal, powerful God with all that power and all that awareness and all that knowledge entered this world and he didn't become aware of us from a distance. He wasn't just a God who was able to write some lyrics and sing a song that sounds like he understands our life. But he really did. He really does because he really became one of us. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus suffered. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus became exactly one of us, a person of flesh and blood, a person who entered this world just the way we did, as a little baby, as helpless as could be. When Jesus was born, he wasn't doing major mathematics, he wasn't doing tricks, he wasn't doing miracles, he wasn't running around. He was as helpless the moment he was born as you or I ever were, and as any of our babies ever are. Jesus entered the world like that. And he lived here. He knew what it was like, the Bible doesn't talk about this, but he knew what it was like to run and to laugh and to cry. He knew what it was like to be hungry and thirsty. He knew what it was like to open his mouth and eat something and say, wow, I've never tasted anything so good in my life. He knew what it was like to look out on a sunny day and be astounded by the sky and the brilliance of the sun, though I don't think where he lived his life, he ever had the familiarity with clouds that we do. He probably never had seasonal affect disorder where he, where he lived. He knew the power and the wonder of life. But do you know what else he knew? He knew the struggles of life and the pain of life. He died. He was tempted. He knew what it was like to be rejected by the people around him. He knew what it was like to feel like nobody else understood him. Because I'm not sure every, anybody really did who was nearby him. They didn't get him. Even the people who were committed to him. Even the people who loved him. Even the people who followed him. Even the people who said, Jesus is the guy. I, I'm sticking with him. They didn't really understand him. Jesus knew what it was like to be alone. To be misunderstood. To be tempted to find the easy way out. He understood all of that. Do you understand those things? You know, when I was a teenager, 
I remember plenty of times thinking, nobody in the world really understands me. If people knew everything I think about, and everything I've wondered about, and everything I've been drawn towards, and all the things I've done, or all the things I've failed at, I'm not sure anybody would ever really understand me. Have any of you ever wondered if anybody else understands your life, or your situation? The God we meet in Jesus is a God who in the flesh, in person, not from a distance, has known our kind of life. The joys and the sorrows, the ease and the struggles, the temptations and the questions, does anybody else really get me? The Bible tells us that the way to know God is through Jesus. And when we pray to God and we bring our lives to God, and that's one of the toughest things to do. You know what? I've observed people, it's actually tough to approach God and actually tough to, to trust Him and actually tough to say, I'm going to lean my life on Him and listen to what He has to say and go where He's going to take me. The Bible says the way to approach God is to approach him through Jesus. Jesus who does understand you. Jesus who's been there from the cradle of a manger to the end and death on a cross. More extremes than you and I will ever know in our lives. He tasted it all and he tasted it for you and me. I don't know if that's a happy news for Christmas Day. But you know what? Christmas time is not always happy for all of us. We sing the rah-rah, and we make happy, and we smile, and we give our gifts. But it's not the easiest time for all of us. And you know the song is a lie. It's the happiest time of the year, sometimes. But I know some of you would tell me tonight, no. No matter what it is for you, Jesus Christ is God's gift to you. And Jesus Christ is your way to God. And I invite you to approach him today and now and tomorrow with your life. He is always available. He always understands. He has been there. Not like Bruce, even from a little distance. He has lived your life and mine. Let's pray. Dear Jesus Christ, you were born a long time ago. Sometimes it seems like the world you were born into is so different than ours. And yet, what you tasted and what you experienced from birth to death and beyond gives you an awareness and an understanding, not just mentally but experientially, of everything we have ever experienced or ever will. And if we ever wonder if anybody else can really get us or understand us or stick with us or stand by us or have our back, there's nobody as qualified as you are. So right now today, with my friends here and my brothers and sisters, we all come to you and we ask that you would help us to know God and that you would help us know ourselves And that you would help us know a life that matters and counts. And that you would help wipe 
that which is dirty in us clean and make that which is broken in us whole and help us keep moving in a direction that's the direction of life and not death because, Lord, we get so confused on the way. Guide us, lead us, help us, and carry us. And thank you for understanding us. In your name we pray. Amen.